Ladies and gentlemen, this is entitled Weekend. And welcome to Entitled Weekend. We've been away for a few weeks and the shit is at the fan in in sports media land in Boston. It's just been, I don't know about you guys, it's just been absolutely uh, hellish having to watch and read the stuff that has come up. And it's only been, been three weeks into the official offseason and it's 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 almost unbearable having to deal with all of this. And well, first of all, a Bill's here, Dan's here. We have McGarvin, aka Patriot POV here, and this is going to be uh, an interesting one because there's a lot to deal with. First of all, um, we've had a whole lot of rumors come out about Lamar Jackson, and you know, and there's been discussion throughout Patriot fan circles of whether it's a good thing or a bad thing to get him or not. And the, I don't want to get into the minutia of what exactly it entails here. I just want to get to, first of all, what, (laughs) what Robert Kraft said as far as his comments, because, and we've talked about it here before, um, McGarvin, I'm not sure if you know, but (laughs) um, we love Robert Kraft, first of all, for what he's done for the last 24, 25, well, more than that, almost 30 years since he's owned the team. But over the last, I would say, five years, he's really had a reputation of running off at the mouth and just been very loose-lipped, and especially over the last few years, but more importantly, over the last week. <laughs> um, Kraft has, has, just, has just really gone off the deep end, and it, I, I hate to say it because it, I didn't think of him that way, but as far as the Lamar Jackson goes, Bill, I'll go to you first. What do you think about all of this with Lamar? And is this, is this actual reality or has Kraft just ruined it with all of the words that he said? I mean, I think Kraft is consistently making mountains out of molehills at this point because he likes to sort of stay in the circles. And like, if, listen, if Meek Mill, texted me and was like, I want this to happen. <laughs> you you bet your ass I'd be running around telling people, but I'm not some billionaire owner of a football team. He he just he enjoys that that relevancy. I think there's been no wants to be changing. Jerry Jones. I'm not even sure he wants to be Jerry Jones. I think that he's just in a like sort of in a weird place in his life. I mean, obviously a number of years back he he lost his right. wife. Um and I think since then he's sort of been looking for like where he fits in like a a social component and you know that's not uncommon for you know people who go through that sort of hardship and I I feel bad for him in the sense that he feels like he needs to stay relevant through sort of these different actions I think we all remember the you know the actress he was hanging out with briefly who he did the filmed scene with (laughs) um and like you know was like her scene partner for such um and then you know, I but I think there's good and bad to what he's what what's been going on for Kraft because certainly some of the good is the um, you know, the campaign he's launched to you know about um, stopping anti-Semitism you know on the internet uh, you know across the world like I think that's a wonderful 
you know, a wonderful Wait, step well, in the right direction e- with a according huge... To ESPN, according to ESPN Boston, he's, um, he's not stopping anti-Semitism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. According to ESPN Boston, he launched an anti-Semitism <laughs> campaign. Um, and that's, uh, <laughs> that is not what occurred um, in any way, shape, or form. But uh, it, it's just, you know, so there's the good and bad with what's going on with Kraft. In regards to the Lamar Jackson stuff, I, I think what's really been going on is that, is there a nugget of truth? Any team that needs a real, like a strong quarterback, which is, I would say, Sands, probably your top five or six QBs in the league, is going to be looking and talking about Lamar Jackson to some capacity, as they should. Now, looking at it in reality, if he's not going to be signed by anybody and he's going to end up playing on this tag for the Ravens, why would you push to get him this year, give up the two first-round draft picks in addition to the high salary you're going to pay versus waiting 12 months, seeing what you've gotten a rookie quarterback on year three of his deal, seeing if he steps up and becomes that guy. And then a year later, if you need an upgrade, a quarterback, there should be options available, likely including Lamar Jackson. So, you know, when he says, I'll leave that decision up to bill, like, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's sort of business hasn't changed. It's just, how Kraft discusses the business with the media. He's a little bit more loose-lipped about some of the secrets and intricacies. And I think that he wants people to know that they're looking to improve the team. And he thought that was a way to sprinkle that in. And I'm sad about it because what got lost was the confidence he showed in his comments related to Mac Jones, where he said that Mac was the first guy in. He said Mac had been working all offseason at the, at the stadium. He talked a lot about how confident he was in Mac as a starter, more so than Bill did, which is not Bill's way. Bill doesn't go out and, you know, give anybody a tongue bath in the media, stands the opponent's punter. Like, it, it's just how he is. But I, I very much want to, you know, I, I very much feel bad that that comment got lost because he wanted to sprinkle in something to sort of keep the headline or show that he wanted to improve the team. And I'll go to you next, McGarvin. I mean, Lamar Jackson, it's clear the cost it will take to get a guy like Lamar Jackson. It's going to be a lot of money. It's going to be at least two draft picks, depending on where they are. Um, I, I don't know. Somebody, I think somebody made the point that if it was going to cost that much, wouldn't somebody already done that? And maybe that's the case. But it's definitely a gamble. And especially when you have a guy like Mac Jones, who there are so many people, I don't know where it's come from over the last year that are just don't like him for whatever reason. You're, you're, of course, you're risking another year of just pushing him to the wayside, but having Lamar Jackson. So where, where, where is the balance here? So I'm, I'm a big fan of Lamar Jackson's game. I mean, obviously if you're a fan of football, you're going to be a fan of a a good player like that. Um, And I understand why, you know, having him be this like pseudo free agent, he's really not a free agent, but having him on the tag and knowing that you can, you know, negotiate with them. I can understand why teams would want to, you know, head in that direction. As far as what, um, as far as the Patriots are concerned though, I don't think it makes a lot of sense at this point, given the financials involved. Um, I'm not really so much about the draft picks because I personally, I think draft picks are just an avenue to acquire players. And if you trade a draft pick for a player, that's just as good as drafting a player if you ask me, but I'm not so much hung up on the draft picks. I'm so I'm more concerned with getting that number, whatever number he's at right now, 32, which doesn't fit 
under the Patriots cap right now and bringing him in and knowing you have to extend him. I don't think it makes sense financially for the Patriots right now. I think um, there's a lot of wishful thinking with regards to, to Lamar Jackson. Oh, you could just do this and this and this. And if you cut these four other players, you can get him in and nothing else. And I just don't think it makes sense for a team where the fan base has literally not shut the hell up about acquiring a wide receiver one. Go get a wide receiver one. Go get a number one. Go get a number one. Well, if you go get Lamar Jackson um, <clears throat> and you already can't fit a wide receiver one under your under your salary cap, how do you fit both a quarterback that you who's on a, fan tra- a franchise tag, a transition tag, or, you know, the non-exclusive tag, pardon, at $32 million and go out and get, you know, the, the favorite right now is DeAndre Hopkins. Oh, go get DeAndre Hopkins. He's doing something like $18.5 million. How do you fit, you know, I'm not great at math, but how do you fit $55 million worth of cap under a team that only has like, at, at this point, I believe it's about 12 million in cap space. You know what I mean? So I, I don't, I don't think it's realistic. I think it's one of those things that's fun to talk about. Like, oh yeah, Lamar Jackson and you pair him with whoever, what, it's going to be great, but it's not a realistic thing. And I didn't, I don't think it would have even crept up the way it did if Kraft didn't make those comments. Now I understand the, the offhanded nature of, of what he said. Oh yeah. Mick Mill texted me. He wanted to be, if he had said that and left it, you know, left it at that fine. It was then adding on, oh, but that's up to bill that now changes it from, oh, you know, the Patriots, you know, are aware that Lamar Jackson's interested and it starts to become a thing of, well, bill needs to figure out a way to make it happen. Um, and especially in an off season where bill has just been under fire for things that he did and did not do. Um, I just think throwing that, out there, even if it's just an offhanded comment or whatever, it adds coal to a flame that doesn't need it. Um, and so I, 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 that kind of bugged me a little bit as well. And I think you made a great point when you, when you said, you know, um, when, when Bill said, you know, the, the Lamar Jackson comments kind of undermined, you know, Kraft's confidence in, in Mac, the, you know, the statement he had made prior to that about, you know, how much confidence he has in Mac. And I think to an extent, he also did that with Bill um, in that same, in that same span, you know, he says, Oh, I, I believe in Bill. I believe in Bill. But when you're saying, you know, when you're leading up with the Shula comments of, Oh yeah, you know, I would love him to break the record, but it's a business, you know, and you know, we all kind of know what that means. And so it's, I think it's just one of those, like, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth and the one that's going to get run with, especially in the, you know, in the town that we live in, um, in the market that we're in, the one that's going to get run with is, oh, you know, Bill's on the hot seat. Oh, you know, Kraft doesn't really like Mac like that. Oh, you know, he's going to be on his way out. And if it doesn't happen, if the Patriots don't, you know, acquire, you know, Lamar Jackson or a quote unquote upgrade at quarterback, we're going to be in another year where now not only is Bill under fire, but Max under fire, and it's going to be even more insufferable than it already was last year. So I, I, I understand the comment that he made. I just, man, that, that was not the time to make it. And especially because I think that this Lamar Jackson thing is the shining, it's, it's the shiny light. It's the squirrel type of thing to get your attention, but say they do it, say the Patriots do it and get Lamar Jackson. And he becomes what, and no, this isn't any shade to him. And I, I respect him as a player. Cam, what Cam Newton was for the Patriots. And what, but what if he becomes, if that happens, then they blame, then they blame Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft for doing it. Oh, why did you sign Lamar Jackson? You know, he's not good. You know, he's not this. So it's a no win situation. And, and then, and then they'll be like, and now you wasted money. Now you did all of this. So it, it's, it, it's, you just can't win. And then again, Kraft putting his foot in his mouth. It's just, I understand the, the, 
Myra Kraft situation, but I just wish there was somebody in his corner to rein him in and tell him, stop, calm down. I don't know if that's Jonathan. I don't know if that's anyone else, but he has nobody else in his corner to say, stop it. And and Dan, uh, what do you think about this Lamar Jackson? Do you think that this is the this is the uh, the orb that we should grow we should grab before it expires, or is it just a nothing? I mean, I always just say, I mean, I'm not an expert at cap. I'm not an expert. Uh, yeah, we, we knew that stuff. to Miguel. Yeah, yeah. So exactly, and that's the crazy thing to me. So a couple of things is is. One of the problems is you have fans who just take whatever they're given and manipulate it and turn it into a thing. Like they take something they hear and turn it into a fact. Uh, it's the problem with disinformation, misinformation on the internet for years. But our media just perpetuates it. We've talked about this before. Uh, I, I think the cap is crap thing really ruins this conversation even more because everyone's just like, just make it happen. Just everyone, the Rams did it. They won a Super Bowl. It's 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 one of those <laughs> ways of looking at it that's, fictitious that people just take as as fact and unfortunately like twitter is just wild like people are just saying whatever and saying as if it's true uh and then you have people like i said the media so the other day i heard that toucher and rich were trying to figure out (laughs) what cap is they couldn't figure it out and they're like googling little excerpts and trying to explain it i wish we had that soundbite because it is comical and not in the way that they would want it to be it's just a bunch of guys trying to figure out what cap is that work for the patriots network like they don't know how it works how to fit things in but they're like just do it um i think another part what you said with bob Kraft is you know he's 81 and everyone says belichick's losing it he's old it's like you got a guy who's 81 and i hate to use geriatric but guy is like doesn't even know where he is half the time. He used to be drunk all the time. So now we're just going to take this guy's word for it. I mean, he let something slip in a way that I think now that I look back at it and I listen to it again, I think it was very innocent. I don't think it was malicious in any way. I think he was just being an old guy, just being like, you know, like when your grandfather gets a text and he just, he'll just read whatever. He'll be like, oh, like he doesn't, he doesn't know. But usually when, 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 when you're in that situation, you tell your grandpa, no, grandpa, I'm not supposed to do that. Yeah. Thing. Well, Jonathan, <laughs> you John, that's why Jonathan Kraft should be there to like, I don't know, tase him or just like, you know, just pull him, like just get the cane, the, the hook and just pull him <laughs> off the state. That's what Jonathan, like you said, he needs, he needs to step in. He needs to take the reins. He's a, He's much more punctuated and thoughtful than his dad. Like even when the two of them are being interviewed, you can tell Jonathan even just like corrects some of the things his dad says sometimes. And I think when he said that's Bill's decision, he's not saying like we've talked about it and Bill just won't do it. It's more like Bill's the GM. Like that that to me, that's that's less the the shifting of blame or throwing someone under the bus, but it comes off as you did now because unfortunately look at our media and fan base like that. That's the way I took it. And I love Lamar Jackson. Don't get me wrong. Like I I don't care if he's our quarterback or Mac, whoever's our quarterback, I'm going to support as long as they're not throwing, you know, ducks all day long and and losing games like that to me, I'll support whoever the quarterback is. Um, I, I don't care about the whole, Oh, well, he's a running back. Like I, he was an MVP. He plays great. He's a game changer. When plays break down, he makes plays happen. Um, I think that's a very rare quality. And I'm not saying he's Mahomes because this happens all the time, but like there, 
there's only a handful of other players that, I mean, Josh Allen, Mahomes, that in the current NFL, when something breaks down and there's no options, they just kind of run or they, they figure things out. Um, I wouldn't hate that. And I get it. Like people are like, I want Patriots football to be exciting again. That's like the fantasy football. That's the red zone generation culture that we live in. Unfortunately, that they just want to see points to me. I, I love Patriots football. Even if it's a low scoring game, I enjoy it because I'm I playing it. More. I like, I like the defensive grind. I like that chess match. I like how you're taking away weapons from the other team. Um, but in terms of the money and everything, if it works and like Bill made great points, McGarvin made great points. I mean, like you have plenty of cap next year. Um, if it, if it works, it makes sense. But if it doesn't, what are you doing? Like, I, I don't, and I, I know we know the Patriots. They're not going to cripple their cap. That's never, as long as Bill's here, that's never going to happen. Now, if the seat is warm, as everyone's saying, the seat is warming for for Bill. <laughs> if you sit twenty three years in a seat, it's going to be warm. But yes, it's 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 warm. It, if you want to change coaches and then be the bottom of the barrel, you want to know what the bottom of the barrel is like. I mean, like I said, I have best friends, a Detroit Lions fan. And and McGarvin put it, it's like, what are you going to do? How are you going to fit all these players in this cap? Then you're the Detroit Lions. Then you're this great offense from last season, but you have no defense because you're gonna you're gonna lose all you're gonna lose the Judons. You're gonna lose uh, the Duggar extension. You're gonna lose these things to fit just two big players on the offensive side. That's Josh Uche. And now you're the opposite of last year. Yeah. Now your defense is terrible and your offense is great, but what does that? Get? get you um you need a well-balanced team uh and i unfortunately we just have like of you know the name of the podcast is entitled entitled town so it's entitled people entitled media uh who don't realize that if bill leaves and this team really starts to suck we're gonna have more mike giardis going on you know and we'll, gonna be we'll more talk departures. about him in a minute yeah we'll talk about yeah. that in a minute <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I just wanted to jump in quick and say, I, I, you know, as much as we're talking about Jonathan Kraft being the one with the hook, I think it's start time to start giving a little bit of flack to to Stacy James, because that's the job of preparing people for that press availability falls on that department. And if I'm Jonathan, I'm pissed that the department we pay good money to isn't preparing my my dad effectively to navigate this. I shouldn't have to, as the son, be the one pulling that hook. They should be well prepared for those situations. And yes, I understand that sometimes, you know, grandpa's going to read the text message and it's not going to come out exactly as we had, you know, exactly as clean as we want it to. But, you know, if Stacey James went up to Kraft and said, it would be a really bad idea to bring up Lamar Jackson. I understand you got the text from Meek. Don't bring up Lamar Jackson. And if you do, do not mention the possibility of that happening for a multitude of reasons. And, uh, you know, I'm sure I th- I'm going to guess, Shaq, here what our next topic might be based on what we talked about beforehand. But it also puts Bill in a really tough position because Bill got a lot of flack that was like, does he hate black quarterbacks when he moved on from Cam and went to Mac? And now there's this he's not interested in Lamar Jackson thing to stick with Mac Jones. And I just, I've like, that's starting to bubble in a way that I think is not super appropriate because it's really not about 
anything to do, you know, like the camp situation was very much about putting a rookie quarterback in a position where they got playing time. <laughs> and I think this situation is much more about the the cash considerations and the cap than anything else. But you're gonna you're putting Bill in a mul- in a multitude of terrible positions by having said that's up to Bill when it's very much not something that's a strong consideration at this point in the game. And I'm glad you brought this up, Bill, because the next three stories we're going to talk about are going to intertwine and they're going to be a thread because, first of all, um, Dan brought it up earlier, Mike Giardi um, lost his job. Oh, well. Um, but really, I want to... Wait, he didn't the, die? With, no, with the, oh, I, I, you would think so, though. You oh, would no. think so Anyways. With, with, the, with the reaction, the unbelievable reaction from his his uh, fellow uh, cohorts uh, as if, you know, he he, as if somebody passed away like you said it, and really the tweet that got me going and this tweet is also going to intertwine with what we're going to talk about is mark dondero who is i guess media adjacent sort of um he says this guys like giardi were born to talk sports behind a mic masa mccordy notice those two names he brings out those two names un- unprovoked by the way masa mccordy were born to play football it's like that 300 what is your profession scene to me most ex-athletes just show up and talk, but they're not professional talkers. It's not the craft they've sharpened 24-7. How dare you, first of all? And second of all, De- Devin McCourty, who just uh, who retired a, f- a few weeks ago, and we'll talk about who might fill in his spot in a, f- a, few, in a few moments, but Devin McCourty has been going on this uh, pretty much a media tour, and he, I believe, has done a service for... Patriots fans and Patriots players because he's just been so and I hate when they call black players well-spoken because it's just it's such a trope and McGarvin you I'm glad you're here so we can talk about this this is just so unbelievable but uh what I love the most about one of McCourty's very first media interactions is well really not a first for him because he's been on quick slants a lot but him and Curran, uh, after he retired, he went on Curran's show Quick Slants and just absolutely pushed the shit in. And I loved it. And if you haven't heard it yet, you'll love it too, because it's just so great. So I want you to hear well, this. I mean, it, are you going to be a hard grader? I think that's a question is when you're I, sitting. I'm not, so I'm, what I'm not going to do is be like how some of you guys like watch a, the game one time and then like you have to put out grades. Hopefully my job doesn't make me do that because my grades going to probably be, they're not going to be great grades. No. Like if this about, if it's, you know, someone scores a long touchdown, what was the coverage? I'm not going to be able to probably uh, tell the coverage go. right away. You people don't know the so coverage. So then I'm going to guess. You don't know the call. Because I watch some of the games sometimes and I'll see some of the best minds in football go like well this looks like a cover three and i'm like there's two safeties high can't like unless it's an inverted cover three now i'm saying something to you and you're like what the heck is it no i know what it did you don't know i know i know you don't but i'm gonna grade he used to ask am i gonna grade hard he used to ask me when he come into quick slits how many times do you watch the games what do you mean how many times i watch it on sunday (laughs) yeah how can you grade how can you grade it with only watching it and he's actually watching the game not the all 22 you're just watching what they want to show you sometimes i did Sometimes I did. But Garvin, I want to go to you first. Isn't that amazing? Like, that just tells you everything about <laughs> the state of, of media to this day. They only watch yeah. the game on Sunday. So they only watch the CBS Fox uh, presentation of it. They don't watch everything else. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually worse because a lot of them are in the press box. Um, and so they watch the game at the, you know, 
at the stadium in the press press box, and then that's their one watch through for the uh, you know for for the game. Um, I, that was that was a hell of a clip. I think um, Kern and and McCourty have good chemistry, so like it doesn't feel awkward um, when you know when he's getting told like that. I think Devin made a great point though. Um, the 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 question of oh, will you be a hard grader? I think that was a weird question in the first place because it, it insinuates that you need to be a hard grader or you need to be, mm-hmm. you know, particularly harsh or whatever the case is there. Um, and that really falls into the whole, you know, that that the popular saying of like, oh, you know, truth hurts or whatever. And it's like the truth doesn't need to be brutal. Um, as far as the grading thing goes, it that in particular bugs me because a lot of the times it's just about biases, how close you know, how close did the team get to confirming whatever bias I had or whatever, whatever way I thought it should have gone. Um, and if they were really close to, to aligning with my views, then they get a nice, nice little grade. Uh, if, and if they weren't, then, you know, they get a bad grade. I think that um, it also applies to the draft. I know we'll talk about the draft a little later, but I think it applies to the draft the same way. You know, when people are grading picks or grading trades in the offseason or whatever the case is there, it really is just how much do I personally like it? And because I liked it, they got a good grade. It's it's all about checking your biases. I think um, when when Curran asks about, you know, the grading, um, how, how McCourty is going to be grading, McCourty really did just kind of say like you know I'm going to grade it as fairly as I can not knowing the coverages I think the whole not knowing the coverages thing I know a lot of media media types get really bent out of shape when when players say that but it's true I mean even even those who are really in the know like you know who are hardcore x's and o's will get some things wrong because it'll look like one thing and in reality it won't be like you'll see two high safeties and they'll be like oh yeah no that's cover two and in you know in reality it was cover six and it was disguised or whatever the case is there so i think that's a fair question i i really love the way uh mccordy did it uh, i really like the way mccordy put it and i really like that he and Curran had a good rapport to begin with because i think that's a conversation that could have gotten really awkward if they weren't you know on the level with one another yeah, I, I would completely agree, McGarvin. And I think that one thing to add there is I think Curran understood that McCordy was somebody who would call him out if he said something that was out, sort of out of pocket. And he was going to say he knew what an inverted cover three was. You could tell he started to say that. And then he stopped. And then you heard McCordy say, I know you don't know. And it's like, so he knew he, if he tried to play like he knew what that coverage was he was going to get his shit stuffed in by Devin McCourty on TV. And so I think that I completely agree that their rapport made that not awkward because it could have been exceptionally awkward. Um, and I think that McCourty, you know, has really, you know, has really sort of made this transition seamlessly. And part of that is the years working quick slants and doing some media in the off season. But I, I think it's also really interesting to go back to the Giardi point that um, and I forget who sent the tweet, um, Shaq, so please feel free to remind me. Don Darrow. that mentioned Moss and McCordy, because what that insinuates, and I do not think this was intentional from, from Donato. I do, I, like, I'm not saying that he, he meant it this way, but it, so, it makes it sound like Moss and McCordy have done what they're put on this planet to do, and they've got nothing left beyond that even though both have had very success or are in the process of creating or already have very successful media careers. Moss is still on Monday night countdown if memory serves and is on, you know, on cable TV every Monday night for the yeah, Hallmark McCourty's games been doing, the week. I mean, Cordy's been doing the double coverage podcast for about four years. So, right. So it's, I mean, both have adjusted really well. And 
you know, obviously it's incredibly insulting to say, oh, these former players don't know, you know, these former players aren't honing the craft 24-7. You don't know how hard they're working behind the scenes. Once they're retired, you don't know how hard they're working. How dare you? That's such an insulting thing to say. Uh, but, and that, that I take personal, that, that bothered me reading that comment more, you know, obviously not the McCordy and, and Moss piece, but the, but the piece about their, you know, they're not honing the craft. Like that's insulting. Um, and the last thing I'll say on it is that the Giardi, I want people to really pay attention to these layoffs at NFL network because Giardi's getting all the flowers and Jim Trotter, what is asking hard questions and there's been very little pouring one out for that man. He asked hard questions, knowing he's employed by the person he's asking the hard questions of, and he paid the price of his job for it. I hope that man lands on his feet because he worked damn hard, held integrity in a very difficult position. And now we're not seeing it near as many flowers. All of a sudden it's been Giardi, it's been poured over. And where it, where's, where's Jim Trotter's flowers? There are people that are doing it, but it's much more few and far between. Yeah, and it plan, especially with uh, Goodell, who we know is not, is not you know, he debases the word integrity. So what do you think about that, Dan? Well, I'll just go back to the, the whole, like, 300 uh, comparison there. I mean, if we're going to talk about that scene, Randy Moss and Devin McCourty are behind Gerard Butler saying hua and mm-hmm. Mike Giardi's in the crowd going, I'm a pata, you know, like something <laughs> like that, like that you're a feeble little, <laughs> you know, you went to a liberal arts school and you you're a reporter. Congrats. And you're mad that your source, Jacoby Myers, left the team and you you just spew nonsense. And that's why you got so many flowers is because the media base that we follow for the Patriots all love the fact he continues to have that Boston media type negativity, uh, you know, being cynical, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, reporting should be the facts, should be the hard questions like Jim Trotter, and it should not have your opinion. I'm sorry. That's the thing I cannot stand the most about the Currens, the Volans. I don't care about your opinion. I really don't. And like for Volan, for instance, he can only count if he has it you know, his shoes and socks off. So it it's one of those things that, that you're, you're just giving him flowers because you missed that negativity. Now it's going to be more straight laced. I think you're going to get more, more of that in on NFL network, hopefully and less of this Boston media negativity stuff that we see. Um, the other part of it, the whole grading with McCordy, you ask him like how he's going to grade. What's the grade? Cause it, it, our media only grades. There's only three things they say. It was good. It was solid or sucks and blows. Those are like the only, that's the, those are the grading. And, and like you listen to it and the majority of the time it's, it sucks. It's like, they suck. That sucks. Like miles Bryant is a perfect example of someone who fortunately he, he makes mistakes, but I hear more about he sucks. He blows. And I'm like, I don't even know if you guys know what you're looking at. Like, I, I don't know if <laughs> you think it's so easy. Like it's just either stop the ball, intercept the ball, deflect it it's not there's so much so many other things that go especially for a cornerback like i I just don't think the hardest position in football anyone knows what they're looking at with a cornerback or safety like safety and when i was in high school safety was sort of considered the easier position because you were like the cleanup 
you're you are the guy that's literally what the position is for you're the safety you're preventing the play from breaking uh going over the top all that stuff but it's so much harder in the nfl every position is harder in the nfl this isn't pop warner this isn't high school you know it's it's different levels and like mccordy said is it inverted cover three current has no clue current current only picks up a a football like Andrew Callahan's picture where he's holding the football looks awkward as hell. It doesn't look like they belong together. It's like tuna and peanut butter. It just doesn't, it doesn't gel. So I, it's like, I, I enjoy the professional athletes being in the media because they can call out these guys. The only professional athlete I wish wasn't in the media was Ted Johnson, but otherwise I enjoy when they're in the media because they, they kind of give you a real perspective. They're not just, you know, spinning negativity. They're not just saying nonsense. So um, I, I can't wait to see more from, from Devin McCourty. Um, and I, I love that he doesn't back down either. Uh, and same goes for Judon, you know, guys, like, I hope I see Judon in the media one day. like that. That's great. Like, I think, um, I think you need to continue to hold the media to certain standards and um, back to what Bill said too, about Stacey James, like, we need to start holding people accountable for stuff and not just, you know, I guess we could tie into the, the other radio stuff, holding people accountable for things that they say. I mean, that, that's a different degree, but I'm saying, you know, spinning negativity, just using rumor or using DMS on Twitter from a college kid like Ben Volan did, like you need to get real sources before you say something because then Twitter and in this fan base, they're going to take it and run with it. Yeah, you're Dan, you're alluding to uh the most recent of of incidents with uh a Boston radio station. And uh we're talking about uh Chris Curtis and just his idiotic comments. Uh the the mothership played the mass comments from a few weeks ago, which is really interesting because they just they, they again they, they these these companies, um Odyssey for uh WEI and Beasley Media for 98.5, the sports clan. Um, they don't learn their lessons. They, they suspend these guys for a week, and then it's whatever. It, it's gone from people's minds because people have short attention spans. But uh, but here at the Entitled Podcast Network, we don't. And uh, the other the other guys played the other clip, so we're going to play the Chris Curtis clip. And so just to give you some perspective on what this asshole said. It so. begs the question, top five nips. Uh, oh, yes, that's a great one. Because uh, right, Dr. Oh, McGillicuddy's, I think, is number one uh, or two. Screwball say, also up uh, there. I'd probably go Mina Kimes. And um, Fireball. Fireball. Like, fireball. I'm not taking it to You're right about the McGillicuddy, though, but do you like the purple or the root beer? Yeah, so, I mean, it, that's, that's, what, that's what's going on at that station. So, uh, uh, no wonder the ratings are down, number one, because that, if that's what's happening at the station. And uh, Shalise Manzi Young wrote a, a very good article um about this but i would i would venture to say that it's not just radio and but she made it the point to focus on radio but it's not just radio it's television it's everything it's all it's all encompassing and it makes it hard and i don't know if if you have the same experience that i do McGarvey, but being being a a patriots fan and being black, it makes it hard when you have incidents like this that happen, and then you have to explain yourself to say, well, why would you be a fan of that team from that area 
when they're constantly saying things like this. So it it's it's it just it just it does make it really difficult. Yeah, it's one of those things that like um I know that uh a lot of people get really defensive, uh, which is which is natural. They get defensive when the whole Boston is racist, you know, argument comes up and it comes up at this point damn near every three months. What makes it really hard though, um, is there's always something to point to. There's always something brand new to point to. Uh, and it makes it, it just makes it really hard to, you know, for for the, you know, for for people to argue otherwise. Like I can say, oh yeah, no, Boston is not a racist town. It's not a racist town. But you know, you, you have these incidents on the radio with 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 the uh, you know Felger and Maz uh, not not that long ago, and then uh, you know Curtis had his comments. It, it's just it just makes it really tough when you know the the fan base is saying, hey, no, we're not racist, and the radio stations you know, supported by these teams are coming out and saying the hell we're not. You know, right. it, it right. makes it so hard. You're just like, okay, cool. We're trying really hard to change the perception, change the narrative. And these bozos get on the radio and they're just like, well, actually you're exactly right. And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, and, and being a, a Patriots fan, a black man living in this, you know, in the, in the state, it, it's one of those like awkward things where at this point I don't even, argue it. I don't argue it one way or the other. So when people are like, oh yeah, you know, your town's pretty racist. I'm just like, you know, every, every town has some bad apples. And, and I kind of just leave it at that because I, I think it would be foolish if I tried to argue one way and then get buried under a mountain of evidence because these bozos on the radio don't know how to shut the hell up. Um, and, and really it, it speaks to the bigger issue of the people in charge and the people listening don't mind. And that's what makes it tough. Because if the people above you don't care, nothing's going to change. And if the people listening don't care, nothing is going to change. So they can continue to make all of these these offhand remarks and all of these like, and at this point, blatantly racist shit, like especially through the tweets, just all this blatantly racist shit. And the people above you don't care and the people consuming it don't care. Then, you know, you get a week off from work and then you're back in the saddle. It's It's so difficult, man. It's 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 really it's really difficult, and like you and you made an excellent point about the teams. The teams the 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 teams are they call the ninety five sports clan the official station of the Patriots, which got goddamn. And they and it doesn't help that they continue re-upping the contracts. So it's like you can find I don't know how many stations there are in Boston. You could go back to VCN for goodness sake. I mean, there's so many places you can go. But if they continue to lay in the bed with them, when you when you lay in the bed with dogs, you get fleas. So these 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 teams are agreeing with pretty much agree in agreements with them, whether tangentially or not, that we're we're gonna endorse this. And it that's what makes it doubly hard is that when your favorite teams are in bed with, with these organizations, it, it, it you you can't get away from it. Yeah, I think it's one thing if you if you condemn it and these teams will I mean, if it gets bad enough, they'll come out. No, we don't we don't support these kind of things or we don't you know, it's, it's unacceptable, whatever the case is. Um, but if you continue to do business with them, what you're telling us is we don't mind like we don't we don't condone it, but we also don't mind because otherwise you would do what you have to do and, and, you know, sever your ties. The fact that you're not doing that means it's really not that big a deal to you. And, and also Matt Jones, I mean, he has to do WEI Patriots Monday. And let, let alone WEI having Ben Bolin on when Ben Bolin had that entire incident with him in the DMs. It, 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 it's just, it, 
it makes it hard to, I mean, obviously I will always be a Patriots fan, but it, it, everything around it, it's just murky and ucky and it, it, it's disgusting really. Bill, how about you? It's amazing that we're having this conversation again, because the last time we had a pod, we were talking about Maz and we talked about the ineffectiveness of sensitivity training we always hear they're going to go through this magical sensitivity training and, you know, they're going to meet the unicorn that cures them of racism. Like it's the stupidest fucking thing in the planet. And it's, it proof is in the pudding there. It's a multi-time offender making a racist remark against a group and a community that was previously targeted the last time they had sensitivity training at that station. EEI is EEI is a multi-time offender in Asian hate and Curtis is a multi-time offender in racism on the airwaves. It's absolutely absurd and proves the point of everything we said in the last pod and certainly, you know, I am, you know, milk toast white don't, you know, certainly have a very different experience, but I will say that I've been traveling a lot lately. And when I say I live a mile from Gillette Stadium, there, you know, and I'm in Georgia and I'm in Florida and I'm in New York, there's, there's a connotation that's immediately there. And a lot of times I hear, you weren't what I expected. And I know what that means, but can I, but McGarvin hit the nail, can I fight that? No, because it's a mountain of evidence on the airwaves that tells people they should be expecting one, you know, a certain type of person to be a Patriots fan. And, and that if I'm not matching that, what a delightful surprise that is. And that's, it's, it's heartbreaking in some ways. It's frustrating in some ways. It's certainly not to the level of the people who have to engage with people defending and agreeing with the comments that go out on the airwaves, because that's abhorrent and it's still happening. Like we can't pretend it's just the people on the airwaves. It's the people who love and listen. Uh, it's the people that will always defend those comments. It's the people that think that saying it's 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 a Mila Kunis, Mila Kunis instead of Mila Kimes is a excuse and makes it all better. And it doesn't. It, it I, I'm just I'm at a loss because we're having this conversation again three weeks later. And I I said like the goal of any any sensitivity training should be that we get to a point where it doesn't happen again. We can't replace what happened previously. We can't, you know, they can't unsay slurs. They can't unaccuse black men of stealing cars. What they can do is be better moving forward. What they can do is hold these people on the radio accountable when they do things like this. And, you know, I'd specifically think Odyssey, a company that you need four shares of their stock to buy a stamp, would be really sensitive to maybe shaking things up when there's something that's going to possibly hurt their brand in one of what I would imagine is their most popular sports markets with their most popular sports stations. Um, you would expect that they might be interested in making sure that that doesn't get that reputation isn't damaged in some way. And what it's telling them is that they don't think that the, the racist comments are damaging to their brand. It's a weak suspension. It's a slap on the wrist to make people feel warm and fuzzy. And then the magical, you know, the fairy enters the room and tells everybody it's time for sensitivity training. It, it, I, I'm just, I'm at a loss. It's abhorrent. It's offensive. And, you know, certainly 
it, it's something that damages the region. It obviously hurts the people targeted by the slurs and comments. And I can't believe we're at this point yet again. It's it's abhorrent. Dan, last word on this. And I want you to talk about uh, not just the sports radios, but the but the fans who love them, the the Cameron Tauntons of the world, the Jake Duhaines of the world, who are mm-hmm. always in anyone else's mentions on Twitter, who any anytime anything like this happens and people like us are calling it out. We're the we're again we're considered the bad guys. We're considered the well. You're just gonna have to take it because they're just making jokes because they're on radio. Apparently, they're comedians now. It's unbelievable. Go ahead, Dan. Well, you know it's funny because a lot of the people on Twitter that agree or defend or white knight these guys uh, were all probably at the Capitol building on January six. So I mean, if you look at some of their profiles, they're all like Trumpsters and stuff like that be like oh grow up you know it's, it's just a joke it's like you guys probably get offended by leftist liberal comedians all the time you know that make fun of trump or whatever it doesn't have to be Trump. It, you know it's just there's just a theme you can just tell it's not this isn't you don't have to do much detective work to to figure it out and put it together um and i think that's i think there is you know like there is in any city or area outside the city there's unfortunately, like McGarvin said, bad apples. There's unfortunately, there is a lot of racism in Boston. I will, I can fully say that because, like, if you've ever been to like the North End, you've ever been to, you know, parts of Southie, especially Old Southie, um, tons of racism. Like anyone that defends that, I'm sorry, it's crazy. Like, yes, it's much different now, and it should get better in 2023, and we're having these conversations, which is wild. Um, you know, this, that's the craziest thing is the internet exists now, you know, camera phones exist now and people are still doing these things. Like, I'm not saying like the, the thing about character and integrity is it should always be like, what kind of person are you behind closed doors or when no one is watching? And clearly these people are like this when people are watching, I can't even imagine what they're like behind closed doors. That that's, what's crazy to me. And like you said, I think it was Bill said, you know, this is unfortunately going to continue to happen. Like this isn't the, the last instance of this, unfortunately, I wish it was, but it's not going to be because there's certain things that people do that don't think are racist that continues to perpetuate the thing. So for me, it's like 98.5, especially the two to six show with the player. I think the player, just say his name. Why can't you say Sony or you can't say uh Corderell, like, like, oh, Jim Murray loves saying the play. I just think the player is letting it get to his head. It's like, just say, his, what, what are you talking about? They, 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 they dehumanize the person when they say things like this. And uh, back to Bill's point about you are born, you're put on this earth to play football and that's it. Like that has rain, racist connotations all over it, among other things. But also you can do things. Why can Tom Brady do stuff after his career is over why and that's an expected thing and other uh, other athletes cannot like i i just don't understand look at gerard mayo's coaching now like you can do you can have it doesn't have to be one career one life there can be multi multifaceted to that point uh i think the other thing unfortunately is there's a lot of other things that go on like i was saying uh before we started today to Shaq, like fred fred toucher this week um they're talking about lamar jackson's tweets saying 
well, these guys don't know how to read and write is what he said. And that that's racist. I mean, like, what are we doing? And no one's calling him out. And it goes back to these companies that own them, you know, Beasley, the Odysseys, WWE, I say WWE, it, it, we're kind of like in that right now. Uh, WEI, unfortunately, I think it's just going to crash and burn. Like we're going to watch a radio station burn to the ground. I think that's the only way you're going to get that thing. I mean, it's not even, there's nothing that would want people to listen now. I mean, you have a show that's Adam Jones is your main guy. That is, that's fodder for me to just like get up from my desk and jump out the window. If I had to sit in a room for 24 hours and listen to that, like that, there's nightmare material going on in the, that network. And as a stock is like, you know, dime penny stocks right now, that's indication enough. It's a, it's a failure. It's a flop. Like you're, you're headed in the road. You have Greg Hill on there now. Back to the other racist history stuff. They had Christian Foray, a, f- a former player, did racist Asian stuff on on there. You had Fitzy, the comedian, talking about Fungwa buses setting on fire. Like that's his. That's one of his shticks. So unfortunately, we have media groups that perpetuate this. We have fan bases that do it. Um, so yeah, I I just think the fans have to continue to call people out. I think the other media members need to start continue to call people out. And good on people around like Mina Kimes, for instance, that were able to call that out some more. And, um, you know, Young's article too, like continue to call these people out. And I think hopefully there'll be some change, but unfortunately these, these radio personalities aren't changing overnight. Yeah. So whatever, we'll just have to deal with that when we get to it. Um, Let's go about some fun stuff now. The draft. Um, this is the season I hate the most, um, in case you guys don't know. And the reason I hate it is because there's a thousand mock drafts that come out. There's a billion of, of these, you know, if they do this this way, if they do this that way. Uh, well, first of all, it's been the worst season of offseason in Patriots history, if you hear from anyone. <laughs> but uh, the draft, um, I think a lot of this is going to well, first of all, how many picks they have? 14 picks to 13 picks. So there, there's a lot of maneuvering that's going to be going on between now and then. And so I think everyone's going to be looking towards pick 14 as wide receiver, but I don't think that's what's going to happen. Um, I honestly think it, it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a, another quarterback. I, I really wouldn't because I, I I don't and then and then but then there's then there's the park of offensive line obviously which is a big need and then there's uh, again there's a tight end so I think they can go a whole lot of different ways but I don't like to be that oh I'm going to predict this and this is what's going to happen if it doesn't happen I'm going to be mad I, I'm not going to do that so what, what do you guys think McGarvin how about you I love the draft. I hate the draft while being on Twitter, though. Um, like, I, I, I think yes. the draft is a lot of fun because obviously any kind of player movement is always exciting. It's just the reading the, especially the night of, because I live tweet, I live tweet the draft because I need something to do with my hands. So I live tweet and I'm like, you're <laughs> reacting. Um, and it's just the, the, the negativity that just irks me, especially if it's before the Patriots have picked, because I'm like, okay, Patriots haven't even picked and we're already upset with the pick. This is insane. Um, but I do generally speaking, love the draft. Um, I'm curious to see what they do. They have 11 picks, right? Uh, highest being 14 um, and the latest being 245. So, you know, that, that's a, a, a wide range of picks there. Um, 
I'm curious to see what they do. My sense is, though, my gut tells me they're going to take two wide receivers, right? I know that everyone wants to go out there and fetch you a wide receiver one. Go get you a wide receiver one. Um, I really do think they draft one in the top half of the draft and they draft one later on day three. Um, Just looking at the way their wide receiver room is set up right now, Tyquan Thornton and Juju Smith-Schuster are the only two who are under contract beyond this season. So it's obvious to me something is going to happen. They don't really have a backup for that X wide receiver role um, with regards to, you know, Devontae Parker, who's in a contract year. If he goes down, there's no one on the field, no one on the roster right now who can do what he does. So I think it's kind of obvious, like, all right, they're going to be looking to add another big body outside receiver in that space. Um, And I think they're going to look to find someone who can play that Z role, approximate whatever it is that Kendrick Bourne was doing in 2021. I think they're going to look for his replacement as well because he's also in a contract year. But I completely agree with you, Shaq. I think they can go anywhere with that 14th overall pick because there are good players to be had there. Um, and more importantly, I think the biggest thing with, with, with regards to the draft and following the draft is understanding that there are three days of the draft for a reason. Everything doesn't need to happen on day one. There's only the Patriots pick one time on day one, right? Just like most teams pick one time on day one. They're not going to address all of their needs on day one, but people will melt down (laughs) regardless of who the the choice is at 14. They're going to melt down that the Patriots didn't address their needs. Hey, relax. There are 10 picks to go. There's still two days. Relax. They're going to get to it. Um, And really, I, I think the draft is the time that I think most people think I could do this. Right. They're, they're looking, they do, they, they do their PFF mock draft, you know, starting in January all the way down to, you know, April 28th, you know, at 6 p.m. before the draft starts. And they're like, oh, I could definitely do this. It's so easy. Just trade, you know, pick 14 for every other pick in the first round because PFF will allow you to do that. It's so easy. Why didn't they just do this? And so people have this idea that, oh, I could just do it. It's super easy. The eval super easy. Why didn't they just take this player and all that? And I think it's just important to remember that we don't know these people. We don't know these players. We don't know what these teams have experienced with the player, right? It, with the player, as as, uh, as Dan was saying. Um, it's, it's just understanding that, like, if a team brings a, uh, brings a guy in for a workout and the guy comes in and he's really not that into it or he's not, you know, super, you know, he's not performing super well and they don't take him, it's, they didn't, you know, pass on him because they don't know how to evaluate talent. Maybe they just pass on him because they don't really want to work with the guy. I think it's about understanding that these are real people who have to work with other real people, right? So if I interview, if you say, hey, you know, the best wide receiver in this draft class is Jason Smith and Jigba, and I bring him in for a workout, and he's like, yeah, I really don't practice, you know, three days of the week, and, you know, I, I got to have my personal trainer here, here, and here, I'm probably not going to take him. Now, does that mean I'm bad at evaluating talent? No, I just evaluated a person and I decided that's not someone that I really want to work with. So I think that's important to remember as well. But on draft day, the the three days of the draft, I think for a lot of people, these are just names. um, And people look up their YouTube highlights and they're like, why didn't you take this guy? He's super talented and just forget the real world aspect to it. These are real people uh, really getting picked for a job. And if someone doesn't, if your boss doesn't want to work with you, you're you're probably not going to work with them. You know, that's, that's my spiel on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at the draft and I'm I'm that guy who sits there and does mock drafts. I'm certainly guilty of of having done that. And there's yeah, players you, who you end said, up like you sent you quite a few of those uh, mock drafts to I, us. I, I, <laughs> I have. 
I have. Now, am I, I'm the guy who looks at it and goes, <laughs> would a team actually do this? I'm not trading every pick in the first round. You know, I'm trying to look at the, I try to look at like the draft point charts and the whole thing, try to like at least be equitable about it. But, um, you know, I think every person can have favorites walking into a draft. I think it's reasonable to like a player. And like, I, I love Paris Campbell this year. The, the tackle from Ohio state. I would love if he's there at 14, I would love if the Patriots picked him. But I think what fans need to remember is that you're assessing a player in a vacuum and McGarvin, you're hitting the nail on the head in regards to like the, the interpersonal piece, the social piece, how are they going to fit with the team? But there's also this bigger picture component that we have to be aware of with team building and roster building. They've signed two offensive tackles this offseason and one of which reasonable starter money are they going to invest the 14th overall pick in an offensive tackle is now a question that you should be asking yourself as you're walking through the process and it's are they i don't know my gut on what i'm thinking is going to happen is i actually think they're going to trade back i think they're going to trade back into the low 20s and they're probably going to like a couple of the receivers in that range you know, your Zay Flowers, um, your Zay, your JNS. I, I think there's going to be several guys that could, you know, will get taken in the teams, but they're, they might be happy with two or three of them. And that's their typical MO is to take that, that fall back into the mid twenties and let that get sorted for them, pick up an additional asset for the next year or a player in addition to the pick and fall back a little there. And if they do that, then I want them to maybe look at, you know, a, a move up early into the second round or late in the first round and take an offensive tackle. I would love to see us get an offensive tackle. I just don't think that they're going to, as much as I love Paris Campbell, I do not think that they're going to invest a first uh, for number 14 overall in an offensive tackle based on how they've approached the off season, no matter how much you love that player. And for all we know, Paris Campbell gets pinked 10th overall and isn't on the board. And that's the other thing you got to remember is the PFF board is not the board that's going to be used by the general managers of these teams making these selections. You can't rest on one player being there. And could the player be there? Sure, they could. But you've got to build a team in anticipation of if that player is on the board or not. And so you've got to make some decisions. And that's part of why they've pushed the draft back is to help free agents and veteran players find landing spots. Because you now there's a larger onus on being able to have a team established going into the draft in a lot of ways and really fitting specific needs or being able to draft that best player available, depending on where you're at in the round, depending on how late you're picking, et cetera. So, yeah, I love, you know, I, I, I love a few players in this draft, um, but I would really be naive to think that because you love a player means that that player should be the Patriots pick. And I think that's the key to remember the whole way through, no matter how many great mock drafts you do, no matter how much you're burning the midnight oil on the, on the PFF mock draft lobby there, you, you don't exactly know what's going to happen. You can hope for things, but you don't like none of us know as much about how a team is built as the people that are in those rooms. And you've just got to accept that and enjoy the process of finding out a little bit more about these individuals and maybe you find a player that you really like and you can enjoy their career from afar if they're not on your team i love paris campbell's game i'm going to enjoy seeing him wherever he lands i hope he's not on a rival if he doesn't end up with the pats but i will enjoy his game because he is a monster 
Yeah, I um I couldn't agree more. That 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 last piece is especially it. Um, I think it people get so upset because now their favorite player isn't on, you know, their favorite prospect isn't on their favorite team. Um, and so they act like, oh no, this is the end of the world. Why not just enjoy that play, you know, that that player's play from you know from afar, like you said, uh perfect example. I loved Elijah Moore coming out of Ole Miss a couple of years ago, and he ended up on the Jets, and I was hurt, but it's more like, all right, I'm rooting for you um, every time you're not playing the Patriots. Um, and so I was super excited when he got traded to Cleveland. So I'm like, oh, thank God I can never root for him openly. We're good. Don't worry about it. Um, and I think another uh, part of it is um, understanding that, and it's going to sound a little weird because, you know, they're, the teams like, you know, Detroit exist and teams like Jacksonville prior to the last few years exist. But I think NFL teams get it right way more than they get it wrong. Um, and so there's this idea that like, oh, this team can't draft or this team can't, whatever the case is there. Um, and so they're going to get it wrong. They Teams get it right more often than they don't. I, I, I remember that 2020 draft. I wanted the Patriots to take Kenneth Murray at 23. Uh, and then they traded down and Los Angeles took him at 23 instead. And they, you know, the Patriots took Kyle Duggar. And I don't know a single person who would say that that was the wrong move, right? Like the, the Patriots absolutely got that one right because Kyle Duggar is awesome. And Kenneth Murray is going to be a journeyman you know, once his contract's up next year. So it's understanding that like, all right, like, even if I don't necessarily like what's happening, the pick could still be the correct pick. I remember last year they took Cole Strange and I immediately tweeted gross because I was like, oh, not a guard in the first round. No way. And on balance, he was fine. He was a, he was really good at pass protection. Needs to get a little stronger in the run game. But overall, he was a pretty good pick, especially when you compare him to his peers, right? Uh, you know, Kenyon Green went before him and um, Zion Johnson went before him and he was better than both of those guys. Chris Lindstrom was the only, you know, first round in, you know, interior lineman who was better and he's the center. So it's, you know, it's not always the time to make the judgment immediately. Even if you, you know, you spend all your time, you know, combing through all of the, the, the prospects and going through all of their tape, which a lot of us do. It's understanding that sometimes the transition to the NFL is hard. Um, one of my uh, one of my favorite follower uh, follows on Twitter is um, what is it? Uh, I I'm now blanking on his name, um, but uh, he he works for ESPN uh, as like a sideline. He you know he works the sticks over at uh, ESPN for some games, um, and he often tweets that the NFL is hard. Whenever someone's you know clowning a player or whatever the case is, John Rivers that's his name, John Rivers. Um, whenever someone's like clowning a player or clowning a you know whatever you know someone having a hard time, he generally quote tweets it and says like the NFL is hard because it is right. We we assume that you know this guy was amazing at college. Well, you know two hundred and you know ninety some odd players get drafted you know, every year. Every one of them was like one of the best players in their school's history. Right. It, that just got like just on the numbers. These guys are always like they come out like, oh, yeah, he led the SEC in, in receptions and catches. And he is the greatest, you know, greatest player in that school's history. And he's a fifth round pick and he's probably not going to pan out in the NFL because the NFL is hard. There's a jump there that needs to be made. We can love all these players. Sometimes they just don't make it. I loved Nikhil Harry. He di didn't didn't pan out even even more than that. One of the, my biggest one of my biggest draft <laughs> draft misses was um, Kevin White loved Kevin White at West. I loved, I was like, this guy is like, he is going to be one of the best receivers in the league in two years easily. And in two years, I don't even think he was still on the bears. It, 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 it all happened so fast. It is an 
It is a projection. The draft is a crapshoot. There's an adjustment to be made that we'll never know about because we don't know how a player will transition from, you know, being the best player at, you know, their college campus and all that to being the fourth receiver on the depth chart and not getting any snaps. We don't know how that, you know, the mental component of it. We don't even know the physical component of it going from playing against people who will never play football again to now playing with people, you know, professional players who are, you know, the best at, you know, their respective positions. I, I, I just, and that's part of what I love about the draft is the unknown quantity of it. But I think everyone needs to just take a step back and realize like, all right, we don't know as much as we think we know about the draft. And, oh, go ahead, Bill. I, I was just going to say the uh, a point McGarvin you made there, Want I wanted to loop back to the, you know, the commentary about layoffs in the media right now. And it's that friendly reminder that with so many players drafted, with so many players on rosters at this time of year, you know, 90-person 90, 90 rosters that are dropped down to, you know, 70-ish players with practice squad. You're talking about, like, frequently you hear about, oh, that person's going to be, you know, they're a camp body. They're going to be bagging groceries in two weeks, which is insulting in multiple levels. Don't get me started. But it's like, that's why I could never take the, 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 the wailing wall that happens when media gets laid off in the sports world all that seriously because they – celebrate these cuts and mock these cuts and you know coaches get fired and there's jokes and it's like that's it's it's all fun and games until it's your livelihood it's all fun and games until it's your job and so you know I don't want to see people that are talented lose their jobs in any field I'm not saying yay people are getting fired in the media it, it, like as much as I have some disdain there it, it's not that's not me I just get really irritated when it's a, a group of people lamenting something that they often celebrate. And it shows a real hypocrisy in what they think the value that the sports media brings to the sports brand as a whole. Whether at the end of the day, they think that they are the product and it's insulting because the players are the ones who drive all the revenue. The players are the ones who are making, putting themselves on the line. The players are the ones who are the stars of the show. You're the supporting cast, no matter who that player is. And so, you you know, the celebrating, the, the, the jokes about the people losing their jobs in that area, they, they just, they, they rub me the wrong way. And then I can never feel bad in moments like this when there's media that's losing their jobs. So I, I, just your, your comment on how hard the NFL is really brought that full circle for me. And McGarvin, going, going back to what you were saying about uh, the reactions that come out when draft picks are, when, when the draft is in the process of happening, um, I do like that portion because that is exciting to see players and see reactions and to see, but I'm, I'm going to sound like old man yells at cloud here, but just it's it's the over overwhelming reaction. Oh, this player sucks. Oh, this player is bad. Oh, that player is not going to be worth anything. You don't know that. <laughs> you, no one knows that. It's that these these organizations are picking these guys, like you said, based on what they've evaluated and based on how they feel this this guy will contribute or if he will be able to contribute for the team. And I'll just say this, and then we'll go to our last thing. Um, 2020, 2021, and 2022, um, I think we would all agree those three drafts for the Patriots have been very, very solid. And I think the, the track record is clear when you look at Kyle Duggar, Josh Uche, uh, Mike, Mike Onwenu, Mac Jones, 
Christian Barmore, Madre. You have Cole Strange, Tyquan Thornton, who hasn't really gotten a lot of attention uh, over the last year. So for, I, I, for whatever reason, it seems like people forgot about him. <laughs> I don't know why. But excited for year two, Tyquan. Real I, excited I'm excited for year two, The real reason that Tyquan's not getting enough uh, buzz is because of that same hubris of, of, the, of the draft complex of, you know, he was overdrafted. He was a reach. Yeah. They shouldn't have taken him. And as a result, people have written him off. Uh, oh, they shouldn't. Uh, and, and plus the Patriots can't draft wide receivers anyway. So even right. if he wasn't a reach, he's going to be bad because he's with the Patriots, as if that makes any sense. And then, of course, Marcus Jones, Jack Jones. You have uh, Bailey Zappi, who contributed last season. So if if you're one of those weird Patriots fans who's concerned about this draft, uh, take heart in that the last three drafts have been have produced really productive players for the Patriots. So uh, just watch it, watch the draft, enjoy it, love it, because I lo- like the process. And this is this is what this offseason is. It's a process. And you can't just react to everything overly balanced. And it, again, but this goes back to what this show is called, Entitled Town, Entitled Weekend. Um, people just feeling like they're entitled to everything, entitled to knowing things before they know it. And you can't. Just enjoy the process. Um, before we go, Bill had a great idea and we haven't done it in a while. Um, so we're going to do it here. McGarvin, you're the pseudo newbie. So we're going to play rapid fire. I'm excited for this. Let's do it. Um, so Bill, you go first. All right. I have a first one, all-time favorite Patriot. All-time favorite Patriot, Dante Hightower. I'm assuming we're keeping, you know, Brady out of the mix there. It's Dante Hightower. Love it. Love Absolutely. it. Another, greatest another, greatest another, tackle another, in Super Bowl history. Oh, yeah. Another retiree we should have talked about earlier, but yeah. He, oh God, Dante Hightower. I, I just Absolute love him. favorite player. Yep. Um, Favorite Patriot uniform. I really like the away jersey that they have now. I know it's not super popular. I like the little red straps on the shoulders. I, I think those are neat. I'm like, these are, these are nice jerseys, but specifically the away, the blue on blue, I think it's too much blue, but the, uh, the whites are, the whites are crispy. All right. Um, favorite sports memory you saw live? Um, let's see. Favorite sport. Oh, um, the Ravens game in 2016 when LeGarrette Blunt broke the uh, t- the uh, the franchise touchdown record. That was awesome. That's fire. Love that. What? Any superstitions? Superstitions when you're watching when you're watching a game? Like, do you I, do anything? Yeah. Okay. So this is a uh, one that my wife hates, but I will not eat while the Patriots are playing. Will not do it. Can't do it. I just feel sick to my I'm stomach. Saying. And if I do eat, we lose. So I no 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 food for I, me. I, <laughs> I, I am right there in that club. I yeah. The only time Reverse. I ate was when I was actually at a game. Yeah, that's Reverse. different. That's I, different. <laughs> yep. Reverse. I will. I will overeat during a game while I'm pacing oh. around the house. The, I, I like shake the house, pacing back and forth. <laughs> All right. Um, so since you don't eat during a game, favorite tailgate go-tos? Wings. Wings, wings, wings. Give me the wings. I'll take them Fo- however you make them. Follow-up sauce. Buffalo. Or do you mean dipping right. sauce? If you mean dipping uh, no, sauce. I, I all right. Buffalo. Yeah, buffalo. Yeah, it's, it's right. buffalo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Just making sure. Just making sure. Hey, listen, there's no, there's nothing wrong with a good barbecue wing. No, there's but no, you know. I, I just need a buffalo wing. You know, if, if it's yep. if it's time to watch a game, barbecue is for when I'm, you know, I'm trying to mellow out and keep it cool. I'm not trying to be mellow during the game. So buffalo, the, hype me up. Fair. I, I'm a little bit off the board on that. I go garlic parm. 
So, that is okay, okay too. I can, I can get behind that. I can one. get behind yeah. that. Fair. Okay, so what's a Patriots take that irks you so much that you it just it gives you Aja that like, makes you shake that you keep hearing that like it's like a take that you just ugh that you know is not true but you keep hearing it so much so often. The Patriots can't draft. We we know that we know that is like objectively false. Um, and lately the the the, the take has shape shifted. Now it's not that the Patriots can't draft. It's they can't draft DBs in the second round. They can't draft wide receivers early. They can't draft very specific scenarios where the the sample size is like three people. And that's my son in the back. He's having a good time having his lunch. But um, <laughs> it it irritates the crap out of me when you have to add all of these qualifiers because when you're adding all of these qualifiers, that tells me that you don't believe the take is valid. And it's not. If you're like, hey, the Patriots can't draft receivers in the first round. They drafted one. It was Nikhil Harry. Should they not draft any more receivers in the first round because Nikhil Harry didn't work out? What are we talking about? Burns me up. That uh, I can't stand it. Especially because other teams have misses as well. But, you know, you're not a fan of the other team. So you're, you're not as plugged in. Every team, and, and, I, and, I, and I do mean this one, every team across the league has positions where they just miss on repeatedly right so everyone's always like pittsburgh you know why can't you know the patriots draft like pittsburgh because they draft wide receivers super well well they can't draft o-linemen they can't draft dbs like what are we talking about that's my spiel yep all right last question i have and i'm it's gonna it's a two-parter i'm looking for a team and i'm looking for a player okay who were the dynasty patriots biggest rival dynasty patriots biggest rival uh the Colts, peyton manning that has to that has to be the answer. I mean, you can make an argument for the for the Broncos at the at the end there, but that's that's not the when I think of the dynasty, I think it really you're looking at the start of 2003. I know 2001 was the first Super Bowl, but 2003 is when they yeah. became like that. They started firing, and you're like, oh, this is a team that everyone has to pay attention to. And their biggest rival throughout that entire time was the Peyton Manning Colts. Right, and my last one is well, I guess this is also a half and half. Favorite playoff game and favorite Super Bowl. Favorite playoff game, um, Ravens Patriots 2014. Uh, the Edelman double pass that game was amazing, but it wasn't even the double pass that did it for me. I think one of Tom Brady's best throws ever was that touchdown to Brandon LaFell, the one that iced the game, where he just kind of lobbed it up and it felt. I mean, the ball was caught before Brandon LaFell even knew it was there. Amazing throw. Uh, it was incredible. Um, and favorite Super Bowl, I'm going to have to go with Super Bowl 49. I watched it with the Seahawks fan of a friend of mine, and it was just so back and forth. It was so cold. And I love that 2014 team a lot. So, like, that game, I, I will legitimately never forget it. I, I have a lot of respect for Richard Sherman in the in the media scene oh on Thursday my nights. Gosh, yeah, but but not, <laughs> but but his face is his yeah. sad face yeah. is forever a source of joy for me, and I, I feel bad. The, yep, I feel bad, but I eat that up with a spoon every time I see it. Uh, yeah. Oh, just one of my absolute favorites. Brandon Browner made such a, an incredible play at the goal line, and I just think the whole oh. Malcolm Butler making the interception, especially after you know uh, after the Logan Ryan. Logan Ryan had taken over on, on Chris Matthew after, you know, Kyle Arrington just got beat like a drum. And it was just one of those, like, they got the rookie out there. How's it going to work out? Uh, and then they didn't take the timeout after the Dante Hightower tackle. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is happening? Please do not blow this. Don't blow it. Don't blow it. And then Malcolm Butler intercepted it. I will that I will legitimately know. I lost my voice before the before the before Malcolm Butler was down. Like after yeah. he intercepted the ball, before he hit the ground, my voice was gone. Absolutely gone. See, see, behind the scenes my my that was the first super bowl i watched with my now wife 
Yeah. And if my mother and sister are way more superstitious than I am, that was a very gutsy proposition to watch the Super Bowl there. Because <laughs> if, if they lost, she wasn't watching yeah, any more I, Super Bowls. That was it. She was out. <laughs> that, that was it. That's my good. mother's hiding in the my mother's hiding in the bathroom. Oh wow. And she's I'm like that. Sp- she's like that. Oh, and wow. I'm sprinting up and down the hall, <laughs> screaming Malcolm Butler picked it off. Like this is that that like that's my pro like I love the the Atlanta Super Bowl a little bit more. But that's, that's, that, that was, I mean, I, I don't think there's a wrong answer there. No, yeah. but that, but that moment might be my favorite moment from any Super Bowl. Fair. Yeah. There, there was, there was a lot, there was a lot more crescent. There was like a, an ending than that Super Bowl. The 51, like it was, you had to build up from it. So, and then you had the good ending, but 49, definitely just. My hot take yeah. for 51 is that I, and I say this and people look at me like I'm lying, um, but anyone who was with me that day will tell you, I legitimately never thought the Patriots were going to lose that game. Um, even after uh, even after Tevin Coleman got in the end zone there uh, at the, you know, the start of the third quarter, I never thought they were just watching the game. The Patriots were moving the ball at will, just up and down the field. It was just, you know, the, the Garrett Blunt fumble, the Brady pick six. It was just like yeah, weird mistakes. things happening. And you're like, yeah, yep. they're going to get it right because like, they're they're the better team and they're playing like their better team they're just shooting themselves in the foot at the end of these drives yeah i i believe you because i have a facebook status that i share every year when that on that super bowl anniversary that says like all you got to do is come out after that score some point like it's a very confident post yeah they're doing it like i think this is this is a winnable game absolutely i think anyone watching had that same feeling of like it doesn't feel like a loss this feels like a team that's just kind of messing up but you know, I, I will admit there was one moment where I was like, oh, no, it was the uh, the, the super sick Julio Jones catch. I was oh. just like, OK, I think I'm wrong. Yeah. Am I wrong? <laughs> and then, yeah, you know, that, obviously, a, yeah. yeah, that was that was a sick catch. Um, and then obviously the, the holding call on Chris Long, you know, you know, pushed them out of field goal range. I was like, all right, now don't worry about it. We're good. <laughs> and, that, and, and that was after a blatant hold didn't get called. Yep. And they went up and said, like, yep. you got to watch this. Yep. 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 That's a fun game. That's a fun one. Oh yeah. And by the way, back back to Super Bowl that Shout out to De- to uh, Dante Hightower for making that tackle and that last minute tackle with a, a torn labrum. Yep. Uh, greatest just, greatest tackle in Super Bowl history. Just Barnum. bench pressed just Russell awesome. Okung. Him and um, Akeem Ayers yeah. was a uh, low key a big part of that play as well. Um, just kind of he made first contact and then Hightower kind of cleaned it up. Um, I don't know if the Patriots win that Super Bowl without Akeem Ayers. I mean, throughout the year once they acquired him mm-hmm. from the from Tennessee. He played really well. Um, so, yeah. He did. He really did. Yeah. Well, as our, as our buddy uh, Ironhead likes to say, uh, thank you for participating in Rapid Fire, and your prize is nothing. That's, so, that's fine. <laughs> Congratulations. Just an honor to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so you can catch more of his goodness at Patriots POV. That's McGarvin. Thanks so much for, for coming here. Come back any time. I had a lot Thanks of Thanks for having me. Man. Reach out. Let me know. Uh, next time we're on, I'll, I'll jump in. All right. And Bill is awesome. at the Fib 0624. Uh, Dan, you could probably find him, I don't know, at Shaw's or something. He changes his Twitter every five <laughs> seconds. Um, you, can, you, can, you can find Will me. Will he be back in groceries two weeks from now? Uh, well, yeah. Per- oh, right. Perhaps. We'll see. We'll see if he gets drafted. He has to get drafted by the NFL first, and then he'll be back in groceries. And then, and then he can bag, yep. Then he can bag groceries. Yep. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. And I'm at Atomic Doll 5150. Follow us at a Tom at Entitled Weekend and email us at entitledweekend at gmail.com. But until next time, turn off your radio slugs. <laughs>